doing, Rock Family? How you doing, Rock Family? Happy Sunday. We are excited. I am excited about the word that God is going to share with you today as we finish our series called The Third Option. We've been walking down this road of how to live out the third option. This is going to be our last message in this series, and it is going to be a blockbuster. It's going to get in your business once again. I'm Miles McPherson. Welcome to church. If you are new, please hit the share button. We do this every week. Share this message on whatever social media platform you're on or whatever digital platform you're, in, you're on and share it with your friends so we can get this message out so they can watch right now. So listen, before we start, I'm going to get on my knees. We're going to pray and we're going to ask God to prepare our hearts. I pray that as you're listening to me in your ear, that the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. Because in the end, it doesn't matter what I say. I pray that the Holy Spirit prepare your heart for what he's going to challenge you in through this message. Because he's going to challenge you. We come here only to hear what God has to say, not what we want to hear. So let's get on our knees and we're going to pray. Hopefully I don't get ash on my legs. Lord God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. And I pray that you make clear to us our role in being a brother or sister's keeper. Encourage us to stand up for those people who can't stand up for themselves. Encourage us to stand up for righteousness and justice for other people. Give us the courage and boldness to do the right thing. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Get your Bible out. Wherever you are, whatever kind of Bible you're looking at, and please uh, use a Bible every time you come to church, whether it be on your phone or it's an old school book like this. And we hold it up and say word. And so we want to declare that this is the word of God that we trust in it. So on the count of three, lift it up and say word. One, two, three, word. Very good, very good. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. We'll get there in a few minutes. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Again, we are going through this book, the third option. Uh, you can get it where books are sold. Um, this has been a great guide for people walking through this time of division. This book is designed to give us unity and develop unity, and I'll talk about that here in a minute. When I was writing that book, I was learning all these terms from sociology uh, and terms from about, about racism, things I had never heard. And there's an African-American friend of mine that I was asking him, have you ever heard of social narrative? Social narrative is a story that shapes how you see the world. And he's like, no, nah, I never heard that. Then I see him again. I say, have you ever heard of in-group bias? In-group bias is a tendency for you to give favoritism to the people of your in-group. Guys are a group. All guys are part of an in-group. Women are a group. All women are part of that in-group. Married men are a group. All married men are part of that in-group. So in-group bias is your tendency to give preferential treatment to your in-group. I said, have you ever heard of that? And he's like, nah. Have you ever heard of internal internalized racism? He's like, no, I never heard of that. Internalized racism is when you start to believe the negative message that you have been told by racists in your life. When people who are racist against you tell you stuff about yourself to demean you, internalized racism is when you start to believe those messages and you start to live down to them. So as we were talking and talking, every time I would see him, he's like, yo, what's the, what's, what's the latest term you use? And we were having these conversations. And then one time I told him, 
that unforgiveness, I wrote a whole chapter on unforgiveness. Unforgiveness has children. When you don't forgive somebody or people or a group, that unforgiveness has children. Bitterness, resentment, anger. And as I was saying this to him, he got this look in his eye. As a matter of fact, every time I told him one of these, these sayings, he would get this look in his eye like, whoa, 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 whoa. But when I told him this one, he paused and said, yeah. And I asked him, you got an issue with unforgiveness? And he expressed to me that he had issues with some white people that had offended him. And so we started talking about what was in his heart. And from that point on, I would always ask him, hey, man, how you doing with that issue you got with white people? And then he asked me, did I think he was a racist? And then I asked him, what do you think? And we had many conversations and still have conversations about his anger, his pain, his resentment, how he's expressing them and how he's dealing with them. I was acting as a brother's keeper. Today, I want to talk about being a brother's keeper or a sister's keeper. Now, what I'm going to say is brother's keeper. I mean brother and sister's keeper, but to keep it short and, the, and generically, I'm going to say brother's keeper, and that's the term in the Bible, but I'm referring to all people. How can we be a brother's keeper? Now, let me back up and give you a big picture. The third option means that in our culture, there are two options that culture gives you, us versus them. You're either for or against the police, you're for or against black lives, you're for or against immigrants, you're Republican or Democrat, and the cu culture seems to want to divide people and give you one of two options. The third option is that we honor what we have in common. And if you're on one side and you've been hurt by the other side, the tendency is to be enemies of the other side. The third option is that God has called us to be prophetic and rise above it and to honor the similarities that we all have. And the way for us to do that as believers is to really walk in the spirit and humbly before our God and say, Lord, give me love for my enemies or the people who've hurt me. This is just the way of Jesus. And so the book talks about ways we can do that. And one of those ways is to be a brother's keeper or sister's keeper to the people in our life. Now, what does that mean? This is not the racism police. I know there's a lot of shaming going on, even whites shaming other whites because they're not saying Black Lives Matter or whatever, and, and, and they're, or they're not getting, you know, marching or whatever. And, and it's not that. That is shaming. God is not about shame. He took our shame on the cross. This is something that's kind of like the opposite. It is actually nurturing health. A keeper is someone who guards, nurtures, and protects an honorable heart in another person. What I was doing with my friend, I wasn't beating him down and saying, hey, man, you can't believe that. Hey, man, you can't say that. Hey, man, you know, you're, you're, you're a racist. You're a bad person. You need to change. That's not what I'm talking about. And we have a lot of that going on where people are shaming other people for what they believe. It's like, you don't believe what I believe. You're wrong. I'm talking about something different than that. What I'm talking about is realizing that every person was made in the image of God for the purpose of walking with God and living like God. Racism is actually when someone sees someone as less than because of what they look like. Racism when someone says the image of God in me is superior to the image of God in you because of what you look like. A brother's keeper says, I got to help you deal with your heart. 
It's not to make you say the different thing. A brother's keeper says, I want to help nurture a heart in you that honors and values the image of God in somebody else. Because if you do that, the racism will go away. You can get me to stop saying racist things, but I can still have hate in my heart. But if you nurture health, spiritual health, dependence, a prayerful life, a loving heart, a forgiving heart, a heart full of grace, you are going to deal with racism, you're going to deal with lust, you're going to deal with a lot of things in your heart. So a brother's keeper is someone who nurtures a healthy heart, an honorable heart, one that is like God. When I, my, my, my grandmother, who has since passed, she was uh, born in Jamaica, West Indies. And my grandmother, when she moved to New York City, she lived in Queens in a little house, my grandmother and grandfather, and in their basement, they had a basement, and part of the basement was finished with a you know, nice little TV and a little sitting room and et cetera. But the back of the basement was her greenhouse. It wasn't actually a greenhouse, but it was, it was full of plants. And whenever I would go to visit my grandma, I would stay there for a couple of days. She, she would always take me down into her room where all the plants were, and it was like a jungle. And she would spend hours in there clipping, you know, uh, uh, leaves that were dying and pruning and, and fertilizing, and we'd water the plants, and we would spend all kind of time down there together, and that was her, me and her thing. And she was, she was keeping the plants. She was nurturing the plants. When I talk about a brother's keeper, it's not the racism police. It's about the people in your life, are you nurturing a heart that is loving towards people that maybe today they have a problem with? Imagine, if you, as I'm going through this, I want you to think about the people in your life who are talking about other people. You know who they are. Those people. Those people behind me. It's those black people or those white people or those Asians or those immigrants. You know, or those Republicans or Democrats. You can take it all kind of ways. Those people... And you as a believer, what is your role in their life? How can you be a brother or sister's keeper without being like Mr. Self-Righteous? You can be a nurturer of health. So we're going to talk about four ways to do that. We're going to look at this story in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, this is the first murder in the Bible. And the first murder in the Bible happened, watch this, because somebody wasn't keeping their brother. There are people in your life who are going to stray and do stuff, maybe because you weren't being a brother's keeper. You weren't loving on them, encouraging them, and ensuring that their heart was loving on God. And again, I can't stress enough, this is not policing. This is not you bossing. This is not you controlling. It's you loving and nurturing. So in Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, God creates the heavens and earth. He creates Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, the Bible says they knew each other and had a son, Abel, and then had a son named Cain. Cain and Abel were their two boys. And then Cain and Abel bring offerings to God. Abel brings a blood sacrifice. Cain brings a sacrifice from what he had grown in the ground. The Bible says God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he did not accept Cain's. And then we pick up the story. In verse 6, it says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And then it says, and if you do not do, do well, check this out. If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Sin lies at the door. And then it says, now Cain talked with Abel and his brother and it came to pass... 
It came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel's brother and killed him, K-I-L-T. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother, Abel? And he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Is there a responsibility on me to make sure my brother's safe? Is there a responsibility on me to make sure my brother is healthy? Is there a responsibility on me to make sure my brother is alive? I want you to think about, as I'm talking, the people in your life who are stirring up racial division, who've been hurt, who are frustrated, who have questions, and they don't know how to express those questions. And somehow there's a spiritual battle going on, and somehow they're expressing it by what they say and what they do. And it's not necessarily consistent with the love of God. And here you are hearing that, watching that, experiencing that, maybe being dragged down by it. My encouragement to you, my challenge to you today is that you say, I want to be a brother's keeper. Because if you, whoever you are, if you took care of the people around you, and if all of us were a brother's sister's keeper to the people in our life, imagine the change that can happen if all of our hearts says, I want to have a heart that honors everybody, those who look like me and those who don't look like me. Number one, a brother's keeper must have a brother to keep. <laughs> this is kind of basic. A brother's keeper has to have a brother to keep. In other words, who is in your life that you can talk to and be honest with. Proverbs 18:24 says, "A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother." In other words, who's in your life that is close to you that you have given permission to speak light to you? Proverbs 27:17 says, "As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens another man." In other words, if you have a brother in your life, a sister, a person, a family member, a close friend, a teammate, an employee, just anybody in your life to whom you can be honest and who can be honest with you, that you can say, hey, uh, what's going on? And as they're talking, that these are people you can confront and love and speak to, that, that they have given you permission or you feel permission to talk to them, identify those people. I have people in my life, listen, that my friend who I originally spoke to, He's my friend. So when I heard him saying that, I'm like, I got I to gotta talk to him. Because there was something going on in his heart. My responsibility to, in loving him was to say to him, why are you thinking that? Where is that coming from? Let me pray for that. Let me challenge that. Let, let's try to align that with the word of God. This is our responsibility. So if all of you started thinking about who are all the people that I have that freedom with. There's, there are pastors in my life today. I have a bunch of pastors who are calling white pastors and black pastors. Hispanic pastors, how do I deal with this race thing? I, I've been doing Zoom calls like 24-7. How do I deal with this situation with these white pastors? I have black pastors asking me that about white pastors who they're frustrated with because they're not speaking up. Then I have white pastors saying, how do I deal with this in my congregation? How do I? And we are all encouraging each other and challenging each other. And even when there's frustration, 
It's like, help me with my heart. How do I approach this? How do I communicate this? How do I go to this meeting when, this is, when I don't think anything's going to be said? And so we are being a, brother, a brother's keeper. What does that mean? We're nurturing and giving each other wisdom and encouragement on how to walk down this road together. You may, you may be a brother's keeper just because someone looks like you. What I mean by that is that you just may feel comfortable. I, there was, a, there was a, a lady friend of mine. She, her name was Laura, and she had an African-American kid staying with her. Long story, her and her husband. And she went down to the grocery store and saw a sign that said, help wanted. So she came back and told T, who was living with her, T, African-American kid, there is a job down at the grocery store. So he drives down the hill to go to the grocery store, comes back like five minutes later, and she says, what happened? And he said, they told me there's no job. And she was like, wait a minute, I just saw that sign. So she jumps in the car, drives down, says to the manager, there's a sign there that says help wanted. And he's like, well, ma'am. And she was hot, and she got in his face. It was a white lady talking to a white man. It doesn't have to be white on white. But we know how we do things. People of a feather understand how they see the world often. And she got in that guy's face and said, is this help wanted only if you're white? And she got in his face. She was, in that case, she was jamming him up. She was being a brother's keeper to T, who lived with her. She felt this, is, this guy is in my in-group, and I am going to... I am going to stick up for T who lives with me. You have more influence. All of y'all listen, no matter what you look like, you have more influence with people than you know. To challenge them to be just and fair and loving and encouraging. And I want to encourage you to think about all the people in your life who are saying stuff, who have different views that they shouldn't have, and who, with whom you can speak, to whom you can challenge to whom you can pray for, to whom you can question what they're saying, what they're feeling. Number two, a brother's keeper is focused on doing right, not being right. This, this, is, this is huge. I, I want to read this to you because I'm going to give you a list of things over here. And this list is nine things that you could think about when it comes to when you hear someone say something and you don't know what to say, you want to challenge them, you want to confront them. I want, I want to give you this list of nine things because often we think, I got to win an argument. This is not about winning an argument. It's about winning a heart. <laughs> don't ever think you have to win an argument because the Holy Spirit is going to work on people's hearts. What you have to do is stir people up to think about what they're actually saying. You know, if you ever watched Jesus, Jesus or listened to Jesus and read about him, uh, how he deals with confrontation, often what he does is he just asks questions. And he leads people to expose what's in their heart. It's from the heart that comes murder and curse and lust and adultery and fornication. The, the Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately the wicked. We got junk in our heart. And if you just let people reveal what's in their heart, the junk will be evident. And so when you hear people say stuff about those people, they never do this, or they always do this, or you know how they are. You don't have to say, hey, don't say that. But what you could do, which again is nurturing 
people to realize, man, I'm wrong. If you can get people to admit they're wrong and see their own way, that's going to be more powerful than shutting them down. So here's some questions you can ask. Number one, if someone says something about somebody critical, you could say, hmm, that's not my experience. Let me, let me walk, let's, let's look at this list. That's not my experience. You could say, listen, as far as I'm concerned, I see it a little differently. I see it a little differently. You're not necessarily telling them that wrong. You're just saying there's another perspective. And number three, hey, here's a totally different perspective. And actually give that perspective. You may have experienced that. I may have experienced this. Again, you're not shutting them down. You're, you're, you're getting them, you're giving them an opportunity to see another side. Or number four, you could say, help me understand how that's funny. Explain yourself. I mean, everyone, you said it, everyone laughed. Ha, ha, ha. Tell me how that's funny. Help me explain that. And number three, do you know them personally? Often there are people talking about other people that they don't know. I mean, they may know one black person, one Hispanic, one, you know, person that was an immigrant or whatever. And, and then they generalize all people like that. You say, do you, do you, do you, or, or, or people criticize people on TV and, and, they, and talk about them like a dog, never met them. Never met them. And so you want to call people to account by letting them reveal what they, what they have in heart. Or you could say, uh, can't you say anything positive about blank, whoever they're talking about? And number eight, what is your experience with people like that? In other words, tell me what really happened. Tell me how many times that happened to you. You could have one bad experience or two or even three in your whole life with a certain group of people. And then all of a sudden, everybody looks like that is bad. Tell me your experience. Have you ever had a good experience? How many times have you been around that, that group of people? And lastly, how do you know that's true? How often do people say stuff and it's all rumor? Please don't get your information from television and then act as though it's fact. These are questions, simple, simple questions that get people to go, hmm, I really got to think about what I'm saying and why I'm saying it. Number three, a brother's keeper is a keeper of self. A brother's keeper is a keeper of self. What does that mean? I got to make sure my heart's right. You got to make sure your heart's right. Again, you're not the racism police. You, you, you're not the ones going to check everybody else and not check yourself because what we're talking about is nurturing a heart that loves God, a heart that honors other people like God, where we do that better better every single day the best we can. And then we're growing in our, in our ability to love others as ourselves, love our neighbor as ourselves. Our ability to do that is increasing and improving. That takes work. It takes partnership. It takes relationship. You are not the Mr. Racism Police. You're going to go around and you, you're Mr. or Mrs. Self-Righteous and correct everybody else. This is about me and you walking with God and being able to love better and better and better. And then when someone's being critical or backstabbing or racist, that you can nurture, hey, um, do you know that firsthand? Hey, is, are you okay? Have you been hurt? Can I pray for you? And let the Holy Spirit, whoa, Holy Spirit blast them. And pray to the Holy Spirit bring experience firsthand into their life 
so they can see the error of their way. Why? Because every person's made in the image of God. And every person was made to love God. And every person has the ability to know God, respond to God's love, read his word, be transformed by his word, be transformed into his word. And our responsibility is to love that into them. But you got to be a keeper of yourself. When I, when I wrote this book, I wrote probably five versions, drafts. Writing a book is one of the hardest things for me that I do. It, it, it's not fun. It's tedious, tedious, tedious brain damage. And the, one of the late, latest drafts, right before my deadline, I wrote, I had a friend read it. She read it, real smart lady. She's never written a book, but she's smart. She's a lawyer. And when she read it, she said to me, you're angry. That's angry. That's, here's what she said, quote, unquote. That's not the Pastor Miles I know. And I was like, whoa. Now, I didn't think so because I was just writing what is in my heart. What, was I angry? Was I, was I hurt? Oh, most definitely. But I thought I, was, I thought I was writing, you know, not angry. And she said, that's angry. She helped me rewrite the whole book. And not only did the anger come out, because I wasn't trying to be angry. I, I wanted to encourage people and challenge people, but encourage people to do better. But, and also speak to the issues and not beat around them. But she said, you're doing it. There's anger in there. And you're going to push people away, which is not what I wanted to do. I wanted to challenge and nurture. So we had to re re rewrote the whole book in like really quick because we had a deadline. But I had to look at my heart. And I had to be a keeper of myself in order to do that. In order for you to be an effective brother or sister's keeper, you got to keep yourself. You better get on your knees every day and pray. Get on your knees every day and cry out to God. God created me a clean heart. <laughs> created me a clean heart. Search my heart. See if there be any wicked way here. Every single day. And trust me, wickedness, remember we just read in Genesis, the Bible says sin is knocking at the door. That brother, <laughs> that, his sin don't go away. It's going to be bam, bam, bam. I'm coming after you. You can pray all you want, read all you want. He go, he'll get beat back, but he's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. So you got to be a keeper of yourself. And finally, number four, a brother's keeper must keep as long as it takes. you got to keep on keeping on. What does that mean? you got to keep nurturing, 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 praying, encouraging, holding people accountable in love day in and day out. Here's the cool thing about what God did to Cain. The Bible says in, in Genesis, it says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have dri driven me out of this day from the face of the ground, and it shall be that I was hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vag vagabond on the earth, and it will happen, and anyone who finds me will kill me. God, God casts Cain out, and he says, I can't take it. I'm going to be hidden from man and from God. And then it said, the Lord said, he put a, he, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold, and the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone find him should kill him. Now, there's some crazy crazy theology, which is unbiblical and crazy, that the Bible says that God made Cain black because of his sin. Well, we know that ain't true because the Bible says that whatever mark he put on, it was to prevent him from getting killed. So that ain't true. 
We don't know what the mark is. But here's what God said. I want to preserve his life. I want to give him room to repent. There are people in your life who they can talk that noise day in and day out. Don't give up on them. I am so glad that God didn't give up on me. I, I was 19 when I first asked Christ to be my Savior. I was walking with him for two weeks, but I had nobody in my life to teach me, and I didn't know what to do. I'm not blaming anybody else, trust me. But I walked back into my sin for five more years. And every day, you know what God said? I got a mark on you. <laughs> I got the Holy Spirit on you. And I'm not going to let you go. And he would send Christians into my life, here and there, here and there. And every day the Holy Spirit would say to me, whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready. And then after five more years, now I'm 24 years old, I said, God, I'm sorry. He said, I'm ready. We have to be that to people. There are people in your life you think they're hopeless. You think that they just get under your skin. Don't give up on them. God did not give up on you. And you keep loving them. You be patient with them because guess what's happening? God is teaching you to be more like him. God is teaching you to be more patient. He's teaching you to be more persevering. He's teaching you to be more prepared. Do not give up on him. You should take a personal challenge that the people in your life you, that, are, that are not being loving, that are being racist, that are being critical, whatever you want to call it, that you take it as a personal challenge, I am going to love them into the kingdom. Now, that may be you. You may be someone that you've been, you, you just had this bad attitude against those people. Or you got a bad attitude against God. And you think God's given up on you because you've given up on him. Well, I'm going to tell you, God hasn't given up on you. I've led people to the Lord that are in their 70s and 80s. Matter of fact, I led my grandpa to the Lord. He was 81 years old on his deathbed. And God, <laughs> Jesus led the guy to the Lord right before he died on the cross next to him. So if right now you want to say, Lord, I know you've been pursuing me all my life and I've been, whether you've been racially offensive or you've just been a knucklehead, God says, I'm good. Bring all your knuckleheadness to me. I want to give you an opportunity to say to God, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died and rose from the dead for me. And I confess my sin. I commit my life to you. A, B, C. Admit, believe, and confess. That you would give your life to Christ. And by the way, that includes your racial issues. That includes your pride, your lust issues, your anger issues. Whatever you want to call it or whatever it is you're dealing with, all your sin, God says, bring it to me. You may say, well, yeah, I, I, I got to clean my life up. No, you can't. You can't clean your life up. That's what Jesus is for. He died for your sin. I know some people think Jesus is like the dishwasher. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I was the dishwasher. Wash the dishes, put them in, dry them, put them in the tray, and the, the water would fall off, and then you, you dry them, put them in the, in, the, in the cabinet. Then when I got a dishwasher, my wife said, you got to wipe the food off the plate before you put it in the dishwasher. I'm like, well, I might as well just wash it because the dishwasher can't handle all the junk. You got to wash it to a certain level, then put it in the dishwasher, which to me is a waste. I might as well just wash it. Jesus is not like a dishwasher. In other words, he don't need you to clean up yourself to a certain level, then come to him. He wants you to come to him with all your junk. Woo! 
Ooh, all your garbage. Ooh, all your pain. Ooh, all your criticism, all your lust, all your anger. Bring it. Because when he died, his sinless blood paid for it all. So we're going to pray. And if you would like to surrender all your junk, that the Holy Spirit would just blast your life with love, cleanse you like nobody's business. It's three steps. Admit. And we're gonna, I'm going to lead you in this prayer. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner and that the penalty is death. Believe, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died and rose from the dead for me. And confess, I confess or agree to surrender my life to Jesus, to commit my life to Jesus and receive the spirit of God. So I'm going to ask you all right now, bow your heads and close your eyes wherever you are. And listen closely to not only what I'm saying, but listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying in your heart. Dear Lord, I thank you for everybody watching right now, everyone listening. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that no matter what they have done, how they think, how they act, you love them and want to restore them. If you would like to surrender your life to Jesus, all your junk, all your pride, all your prejudice, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. It is not a magical prayer. It's simply you acknowledging, you understand the terms of your relationship with God. That he is God and you are not. He is the forgiver and you are the forgiven. He is the Savior and you are the saved. So in the privacy of your heart, if you would like to surrender your life to Christ, Pray, dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and that the penalty of my sin is death. I believe that Jesus is Lord, that he died and rose from the dead. And I confess my sins to you. I commit my life to you. Please fill me with the Holy Spirit. I want to be born all over again. Take out my heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Take out my hard heart and put in a sensitive heart, sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, congratulations. I want to encourage you to text SAVE to 52525. And I'm sure that God is going to change the direction of your life. Keep in mind, this is a relationship. You are now walking in relationship with Jesus. And over time, as you trust him, take him by the hand and walk with him. He is going to transform your life. It is so important for you to get into a small group, whatever your church in, whatever church you attend, Please get in a small group, not only to walk with Jesus, but to learn the things we talked about. Because you can't do life alone. You can't be a brother's keeper or be kept by a brother's keeper without having a group of people in your life who can love on you and encourage you. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.